The job. The stress. We are, there is an active shooter working at Douglas. Multiple gunshots are being fired. Politics. Politics. Pressure. Pressure. Get out of here. We got a guy with a long rifle. We don't know where the hell he's at. Fear. Survival. Control 765, I need the radio for a minute. Be advised, we are taking fire from a very high floor. We believe it's possibly coming from the Mandalay Bay. And we get it. And we have to do better. The truth behind the badge. Presented by the Team South Florida Law Enforcement Charity. Good afternoon, this is Rich with Team South Florida and welcome to a very special episode. This is episode eight of Truth Behind the Badge and I am really, really lucky today because we have several participants in today's podcast and especially this week where it's National Telecommunicators Week. How fitting that we get to do a podcast focused on dispatch and communications and I think it's really beneficial for us to realize that it's difficult to talk about the profession if you aren't in the profession. And what I mean by that is sometimes we'll get contacted from different individuals asking questions about dispatch or communications. I personally don't feel qualified to answer many of those questions. So what I would do in that situation is I'll turn around and I'll reach out to somebody that's done the job. So thank you to some of our supporters. We are really lucky. I got about 20 questions that came in, and what I'll do is I'll just briefly allow everybody to introduce themselves so you guys know um, who's here, and we'll just ask some of these questions, and we'll see where it goes. So just uh, if you guys could maybe just first name, and we'll get started. My name is Carolyn. I'm Melissa. I'm actually the president of Golden Pulse Foundation, which is a... Um, it provides services for first responders with PTSD. Awesome. And you're right here in South Florida, correct? I am. I am in Miami-Dade County. Awesome. All right. Next. Hi, my name is Claudia. Thank you. And last. Kristen. All right, guys. Uh, first question that came in, any advice for someone wanting to become a dispatcher? Suggestions on what to look for in an agency or how to make myself a better applicant? Anybody want to go with that? And if you want to just raise your hand, I'll, I'll let you know. And Carolyn? Um, at my organization, I'm actually tasked with going through all the different um, applications. And then for any one position that uh, we have open, I easily receive about 300 applications for. So some of the things I look for are, um, before I look at anything you've done um, work-wise, I look for your flexibility in hours. I think people tend to forget that, it is a 365-day-a-year job. You're going to be working nights, holidays, weekends. You're going to miss birthdays. You're going to miss family time. And um, a lot of people in the application that we have, they'll say that they are very flexible. And then when you go down and you ask them specifically what hours they can work, it is, you know, they're only available between certain hours. And somehow that, those hours never cross over to a midnight shift. Um, or weekends. So that's one of the first things I look for. And then I do look at the job, um, that what they're, where they're currently working, have they had steady income? And if it seems like they've never been in, in this type of position before, I usually invite them into the center and have them sit and see what a dispatcher does day in and day out. Um, I look for their attitude. I mean, you know, you don't, I'm not necessarily looking for experience, but I'm looking for somebody who's willing to learn the position um, and, you know, who, who has a willing attitude and, and a good attitude to learn these type of things. And that's pretty much what I look for. All right, great. As far as somebody that has no experience, I would venture to say they might be overwhelmed when they first see all the things you do. Uh, maybe the multitasking and then is there any way to prepare them for the emotional side of things when they take on those 911 calls or they have to dispatch during a critical incident? I'm a little old school, so I'd have to say probably not. I don't think that you, I, I'm not sure anything really kind of prepares you for that. I still remember my very first 911 call that I took 23 years ago. Um, I remember everything about it. And I just think that, um, you know, over the years, you know, Rich, I, I've been involved in a lot. 
a lot of different calls. I was always kind of the magnet for everything that would happen. Um, and I just, I'm not sure it prepares you. I think you just kind of get used to it. Melissa, you were nodding your head. Sounds like you agree. Um, yes and no. I mean, the times are changing. So what's coming back or what people are starting to realize is emotional intelligence is a very big part of living in today's world, especially with social media. So you kind of have to be um, accepting of change, which humans aren't really accepting of change. And um, you really have to focus on your mental health. I mean, I remember starting 13 years ago, one of the questions is to relieve stress, what do you do outside of work? And will you continue those things? And I did, and then I bought into the whole overtime and exerting myself with things like that. And started becoming emotionally involved with every call, which is not good. So I went back to training with a coach of learning how to manage my emotions and going back into my mental health aspect. It took me 12 years to do it, but I think that's the biggest thing that people need to remember. And as trainers, as mentors, as managers, as supervisors, we really need to push on, I guess, uh, pushing it towards the people to remember that. I mean, I don't think there's really a way to be prepared. There's no, you have to just kind of embed it in their training like you do with police officers when they go through the academy or military when they go to boot camp. You have to put that emotional intelligence and mental health aspect into the training and make sure they're okay. Don't go home drinking, things like that. So I think that's within the training, not so much prior to when I apply. And to prepare for it, I, there's no really, there's no preparation, I think, to prepare yourself to this environment or this world. Yeah, I think that kind of speaks to how important it is to be in a supportive environment. Um, let me turn to Claudia. I wanted to talk about, and actually, thanks to you, Melissa, I saw this post and we shared it from you guys with the Golden Pulse Foundation. Claudia, you were quoted as saying, you might forget me when you hang up the phone or when you put away your uniform, but I don't forget the sound of fear in your voice, your tears, the relief in your voice when it's a false alarm. I'm a police dispatcher for such and such county, and when the world seems like it's coming to an end, I choose to be there for you and your family and to make sure you make it home safe another day. I don't know if you want to expand on that, but I think that is pretty fitting with what we just discussed. I mean, it's, you leave work, but you don't leave work per se. Yes, and I agree, you leave work, you don't leave work. Um, as Missy was saying, it's one of those things where you can't prepare for. Carolyn said she remembers her first 911 call. I remember my first 911 call, my first chase, my, face, my first officer down. So it's something that you don't forget those things. Um, when you help people in the job that we have, it's like you say, like we, some people say we're not first responders. Some people say we are. Um, I feel like if I'm helping you get through an emotional situation, a crisis, we're there for you. We're there to help you. Whether it's taking a 911 call or dispatching an officer, dispatching a firefighter, um, we're always there for you. We're there for your family. You're calling us because you need help. You're not calling us to give us good news. Go ahead, Carolyn. I just want to expand a little bit on what Claudia says. I agree with her, you know, wholeheartedly. And I think that sometimes what people tend to forget, even the, the callers is, you know, whether you, whether you want to think of us as first responders or not, the fact of the matter is we are the link. We are, and not to be cliche, but we are literally the link between that caller and getting them help. And, you know, when they're in a stressful situation, whatever it might be, the fact of the matter is it's on us to be able to break through that threshold. And we're, I can't speak for everybody on the panel, but I know there have been times with the, these phone calls I'm just as anxious, but I can't show that to my caller. I can't let that come across my voice. I can't let it come across the radio if I'm on the radio. You know, it, it's it's difficult. It's We are the ones that are there. We're the ones that have to deal with those emotions, and it's a, a relief 
um, when we know that, that the help has actually arrived. Um, there's been shifts that I've gone home and I don't know what the outcome is, or there are shifts that, you know, I've transferred it off to another agency and, and I know that it's going to be very difficult, you know, for those people to get any type of help just, you know, based on the location of the situation. Um, without getting into too much detail, you know, there was one, one night in particular when I worked where you are, Rich, and we, we left for the night. The ship left for the night knowing that there was somebody sitting in the Everglades and we didn't know, you know, what was going to become of that. Um, another one where a little boy was lost. And, you know, it's very hard not to take that kind of stuff home with you. And I think that's, you know, it's, um, what Misty was saying, you know, we have to learn to take care of ourselves and, and for me, taking care of myself meant making that clear distinction between work and home. So I've been very fortunate. I don't think I would have lasted as long as I have if I haven't, if I wasn't able to learn to make that that break between the two. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Uh, jumps into another question that we had. Somebody said, "What are your thoughts on being a first responder and being entitled to certain benefits, especially when it comes to mental health?" I know in the state of Florida, there was a big push with PTSD and mental health and retirement, thing like, things like that. Safe to say everybody feels you should be entitled to first responder and probably some of the reasons already mentioned, right? Who wants to take that? Go ahead, Missy. So because, I mean, I, we all agree here, we are first responders by definition within our, amongst our community. However, by the state of Florida definition, we are not. Um, we're not entitled to the same benefits that the officers and firefighters just received, which was, I think, last year or the beginning of this year, they passed the bill that PTSD is now, um, I guess, under their insurance. So if they were to leave on disability leave, they can leave because of PTSD and they'll still get paid for it because of the stigma that mental health had for such a long time that if you choose the route of taking your own life, um, you're life insurance is voided basically. And now they're trying to push it. Well, because of the job that brought all these mental health issues, your your family should still be entitled to that. So that's why they're pushing all these litigation purposes for it. Um, it's a fine line as to the benefits that we receive as dispatchers. The only thing that I know come to mind, at least in Miami-Dade County is the EAP. Um, I think a lot of people agree that the EAP is not a very um, grounded option. Um, you only get a certain amount of sessions and it goes through your insurance. And the stigma is if you check yourself into a mental institute of some sort or psychology, you're basically granted as being a crazy person or people will talk and it will get back to your job and that's what people are afraid of. So organizations like... Um, Nonprofits like mine who try to do it outside of work and um, Never Walk Alone is another one that I've been working with, which is out of Miami Fire Benevolent. Um, you know them, you, I guess, spoke with them a little bit. And we're slowly getting there. We're slowly getting there. As a dispatcher, we don't have those benefits. So it's hard to answer that question. You hit on a couple of things. We, uh, we definitely try it really varies by agency that's our experience with uh ptsd eap reaching out uh critical incident stress debriefing teams peer support teams things like that it really really varies by agency and what we found with a lot of the officers is they're not comfortable talking with their own and they prefer to go outside for obvious reasons and confidentiality is a big thing trust is a big thing another organization is the brotherhood ride um, just like us. So Jeff Morse is the founder and president of the Brotherhood Ride. And when they get contacted from a law enforcement officer in need, they'll refer them over to us more times than not. And they're right out of Naples. And then when we get contacted from a firefighter paramedic, he's typically my go-to. And it's definitely a stigma that is slowly getting better. And it needs to just, it needs to just stop. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I'd be petrified to look up the statistics on suicide among 911 dispatchers and communications personnel. I don't even think that's recorded anywhere, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of the stuff that's recorded that I've noticed 
in my journey of this nonprofit has been police officers and firefighters. And even those numbers are lacking because it's off of volunteer basis. It's not, let me go research all these first responders and see how they, they passed away. It's through the family that's volunteering this information. Going back to uh, Carolyn, I remember you said you remember one of your first calls 23 years ago. Somebody said, and we can go around over here. Somebody said, do you remember the first call that made you cry? Believe it or not, the first call for me happened much later in my career. Um, I, it was probably in 2017. And I almost feel like this goes back to kind of what Misty was talking about much earlier in the conversation, you know. Um, I don't know how I've done it. I don't know, you know, I, I, I've been able to turn off those emotions, but you just never know when it's going to come back and slap you in the face. And the one call, I remember I was sitting on main channel. I was about to leave from my shift. I was working in the night shift. I was about to leave. And I was actually on main channel. I didn't even take the 911 call. And it was just um, a child that was found deceased by the parents. And um, the the child happened to be about my kid's age. And I, and that wasn't the first time I had to handle calls um, with kids around my kid's age. But for some reason, I guess it was the perfect storm. I was tired. I probably was emotional about other things. I don't even remember. And I just, on main channel, I started crying. And I, I said, I need somebody to relieve me. And I got up. I went to the bathroom and bawled my eyes out before I went home. But cleaned myself up so when I walked in my home, I was presentable and uh, nobody knew any, any better. Anybody else? Missy? So in the agency that I work for, since we do um, call taking, police dispatch, fire dispatch, and what's called teletype where you enter stolen vehicles or run criminal history, um, I began my career with call taking. And then once you're finished with that, you get to take overtime and be on your own. So I think one of the first calls of not having somebody there was probably the most um, remembering uh, I guess, memorable one that I could talk about, which is an old man that was just across the street from our jurisdiction. He was actually in another jurisdiction, but I ended up sending help anyway that he just got out of the, um, I think it was a doctor's office because he had diabetes and he started to go blind. And you could tell he was a really old man and he just kept apologizing. He's like, I'm really sorry. Um, I'm just an old man. I know I don't, I don't want you guys to be bothered. Um, I'm sorry that I have to call. And it was just that, that I guess that he was so embarrassed to call made me feel sad because, you know, that's what we're here for. And I didn't know what to say because it was one of my first calls by myself. And I was just like, it's okay. That's why we're here. And knowing that people don't want to call because they're embarrassed or feeling um, vulnerable, I guess, which is a very, back then, 13 years ago, people didn't do. Vulnerable was not a word you associated with men, especially. Um, it kind of hit. It hit hard where I, I was just kind of like, oh, my God, I feel bad for this guy. And the last thing I wanted to do, which we're trained to do, is, oh, you're across the street? Well, we got to send you to the other agency. And I ended up having my rescue go anyway, which was great. And he was just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And he was basically crying on the phone. And I don't know, that kind of hit me. I guess it was just because of the first call that I took by myself. Claudia? I agree with Carolyn. Um, we can take any kind of call and sometimes it doesn't hit you to one random call. And for me, it was a domestic violence. We take domestic violence calls every day, but this one specifically, it hit me because it was an older man and his wife was being abusive. I could hear her hitting him as I'm taking the call and he started crying. And I, I, I would stay on the line. Yes, um, there were tears coming down my eyes, but I couldn't allow him to hear that in my voice. I had to reassure him that help was coming and he was going to get out of this. He was just like, I can't take this anymore. And I'm just an old guy. I'm sick. And she just keeps abusing me. So it was pretty sad. But it's one of those things where you could take hundreds of calls and it's just that one call that's going to hit you whether it's at the beginning of your career 
10 years into your career, 20 years into, into your career, but it, it's going to happen one day. Kristen, go ahead. Um, so the first thing that I remember is more so I was coming out of frustration. I think I was very much raised in a bubble and really didn't understand the rest of the world. So um, the call that I had taken was a little girl. She was maybe about five or six, and she called um, saying that she witnessed her mom being stabbed by her father to death. And um, at the time, it really hit me, too, because my partner at the time, my best friend, her daughter was the same age. So, of course, you kind of just relate to it that way. And I was just so, I guess, irritated and frustrated and all the emotions of how could this lady expose her daughter and not protect her daughter and like allow her daughter to see something like that. Like you've got a restraining order for a reason. And now you're allowing this man. Yeah, I get it. He's the baby, you know, the baby's daddy and you let him in the house. And yet this is what you are letting your daughter live with for the rest of your life. So for me, that was like the first time I got really frustrated and like cried out of frustration. Um, and then I'd always, always with little kids, if there's ones that, you know, die from SIDS or from the parents sleeping on them or you know they fall in between the bed and the dresser and end up passing that way or drowning so that always always hits hard for me too um, and then I have never broken down at my console before um, but just recently um, my husband had been in a shooting and I kept my composure the whole time I didn't know he was really there it was just one of those things where he just went and didn't pay out of the radio. So as soon as I started hearing his voice and everything kind of started coming together, but I kept my composure up until the part that everything was settled and done and over with. And then I just, you know, the wife part of me kicked in and I had to excuse myself. So, but then um, going back to uh, the mental health part of, it, part of it, you know, we don't get excused after something like that. We continue working. So I think my next call after that was somebody complaining about moving part vehicle. So it's just one of those our emotions are running high. You have to deal with somebody else's emergency, but it's nothing in comparison to what you have just dealt with, kind of thing. You know. So. Well, yeah, that's that's intense. I I know it's really hard for dispatchers, especially call takers too, but dispatchers, especially when they have a husband, girlfriend wife, you know, significant other, even close friendships, and they're on the job. Um, we've all, I'm looking at the audience, and I know all you guys know people, and unfortunately, everybody's agency has been through things. It's One of the questions we got that's related to it is, are you allowed to leave the room if you need to de-stress or take a break after a tough call? Do you guys have a few minutes? Can you get up? Can you say, I need a few minutes? Can you walk away? Yes, in my agency, we can. We are actually encouraged to say that we need five minutes, 10 minutes. They allow us to take as much time as we need. When we experience a serious call, our supervisors will come up to us and ask us, do you need some time? Are you okay? If you say you're okay, then you know you continue on to the next call. You, you can say you need an hour. You can say you need 30 minutes. They'll give you as much time as you want in order for you to de-stress or deal with the situation that you just dealt with on your own. Well, that's great. I guess um, size of the agency probably plays a big role into that. I'm thinking for a smaller agency when maybe you can only count on one or two hands how many dispatchers or call takers you have. You might not even be able to do that. Um, Carolyn, go ahead. I actually am in charge of a smaller center at this point, I think, compared to um, the agencies that our panel is part of. And, um, you know, of course, when one person's out of the room, it, it can make a big difference. But at the end of the day, as a manager, I feel like it's my duty to go in there. I'll answer calls if I'm working there, you know, if I'm working at the time. But to me, it's imperative. You know, we have, I let people go and get food. If, if it's a matter of somebody needing to get off that radio, get off the phones just so that they can go and have their moment. I think it's imperative that we do it because it's just not even fair for the next caller or for that for that person to continue on. They're not going to be effective anyway. And I think it's imperative for the supervisors, the managers, coworkers to be looking out for each other to see, um, 
you know, if somebody needs that moment and, and let them know, hey, do you, do you need to step out of the room? It's okay. Almost like giving them an assurance that it's okay if you need to, to take a couple minutes to yourself. They have to. Otherwise, you're not, they're not going to be effective anyway. Yeah, it's almost like the officer perspective where, you know, I may have a really, really bad call and then I make a traffic stop and it's not fair to the motorist that I stopped, but I may have short patience with, with them. Um, all right, let me see what's next over here. On a lighter note, somebody, we had two questions. Have you ever received a 911 call from someone you knew or have you ever visited an address where you received a 911 call from? Anybody? Go ahead, Carolyn. Carolyn, then Krista. Uh, I, um, it actually wasn't a great call, but uh, I, I've been now, this is the third agency. The very first agency I started with, I did uh, receive a 911 call from, from an officer that we worked with, and um, it wasn't a great call, but it, it has happened. It, it's a difficult call, um, but it happened and, and you just have to process it. You know, you're at the end of the day, you have to remain professional and you have to continue on and just ask the same questions that you would, no matter how hard that they might be. Um, and just treat them as you would any other caller. Go ahead, Kristen. Um, mine's more on a lighter note. They were domestics, but they were kids that I grew up with. So when I answered, we say our last name. So since then I've been there and they didn't know who they were they were talking to so it's kind of just more being like nosy and reminiscing um, I had another one a neighbor call um, about my grandfather so that was one that was a medical medical issue but um, you know I wasn't talking to my grandfather at the time so with my adrenaline I guess wasn't uh, wasn't as bad as it would be alright uh, let's see there were some positive ones in here. There weren't. They weren't all like super, super powerful and emotional. Uh, somebody said, "Here's a good one." With being mandated to come into work early or stay late, depending on the work, how do those of you with kids or even pets make it work? I'll chime in. Oh. I have an amazing husband. That's that's what it comes down to. I have a, a great husband. He's he's absolutely amazing when it comes to my girls. He you know, we'd get them ready for school every morning or if I got called in during hurricanes. I mean, at the end of the day, as a mom, I was scared to death, not knowing what was going on during hurricanes, but knowing that my husband was there um, was great. And I just, for me, I was lucky. I had a very good support system. And my kids, you know, as they grew up and they understood things, it, it was just awesome. They were, that's what it comes down to for me. Kristen, you wanted to say something? Um, sure. So, um, luckily, I have a great support system, and um, I have, if, if worst comes to worst, my husband and I work pretty much the same days, and um, if it's something where I'm working and he gets a call, SWAT out, or, I'm sorry, a SWAT call out, um, luckily, um, my dad will step up and watch the kids, or now my oldest is uh, old enough to watch my little ones to have three girls so um, luckily everything so far knock on wood has always worked out and um, my mother, like I said my mother-in-law will drop her off at the relatives or the other kids at the relatives and everybody just kind of helps us out when it's in dire need like they just know like when we need to go or when we need to stay over it's because there's a, a big emergency going on we wouldn't do it if we didn't Carolyn, you kind of hit me when we were talking before about first responders, and then you mentioned the hurricanes. This is a good point for people that maybe don't think about the sacrifices you guys make and the responsibilities you guys are forced to have. Look at the whole corona situation. Look at the hurricanes. You guys all get called in. You guys get mandated. The term essential employee comes to mind. You guys are all essential employees. You know, just food for thought, right? Absolutely. All right, let's see. Somebody else said, why do you guys hate me so much? I really thought you appreciate the mic clicks or not answering you the first or second or third time you call me. Claudia, have you had a, an occasion where you may have checked up on somebody and they don't hear you the first or second or third time? Or Missy? I may or may have not played a song, Say Something. You know the old one where it says, Say Something, because they weren't answering 
may or may have not done that. <laughs> I may or may not have said any more than just a mic click. I actually need you to say that you acknowledge me. Uh, another positive one. Somebody said, what was one of the most memorable positive calls that you guys have had? Okay, Claudia, go ahead. Okay, the most memorable call, it started off really bad. It was a two-year-old that was drowning. The mom, I couldn't understand anything she was saying. She was hysterical. She couldn't give me her address. I had to figure out where she was. And she was driving her two-year-old to the hospital with her car door open. I was, I managed to figure out where she was and was able to get cops in front of her so that they can open up traffic and she can make it to the hospital. The two-year-old survived. All right, Missy, go ahead. I guess when she said something about a kid, the last one that I had was memorable. It was actually in another jurisdiction, which is a bigger agency than what um, my agency is. And Somehow we got the phone call first from the child that was on scene, which I think was a little bit older than maybe like seven or eight. And then the mother was calling on the other line, but we received both of them in our center. Um, we were trying to transfer it over and I was trying to get information from the child where I said, let me just speak to your mother. The mother put the other operator um, down and then I spoke to her and I asked her what was going on and it was a an infant that was choking on ice. So as I was transferring, the line just kept ringing and ringing and ringing. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, I got to do something. I can't just tell this lady, let's just hold on for this other agency. So I just gave her instructions. She was unlike the norm of most mothers that are very um, exaggerating, screaming, just help me, just send somebody. She was very calm. I walked her through the back thrust and she was able to get the ice out and the baby started crying. And then that led her to cry. And I'm like, see, that's okay. Now your baby's okay. Now we're just going to get the ambulance to you. And finally that agency picked up. So I think that was a good, I'm glad I stayed on the phone and we're trained to do that just in case something happens where they're not able to get that agency to them. So. All right. And go ahead, Carolyn. I had a call one time from um, an elderly lady. She was in an assisted living facility and she was calling because she, um, was having difficulty breathing. But while she was on the phone, I heard um, what turned out to be an employee come in her room and was yelling at her for being on the phone. And that just aggravated me. And so um, the employee snatched the phone out of her hands and she kept telling me, you don't need to send paramedics. You don't need to send paramedics. She just has dementia. She doesn't even know what she's saying. And the lady was just so rude that I, I got mad. I said, not only is she getting paramedics, but she's getting the cops there too. And so everybody went out, and as it turns out, the lady did get transported to the hospital. I forgot about the call until a week later. Her family called to um, speak to my supervisor to thank me because apparently she had fluid in her lungs, and they said that if she had been there even one more day, she would have probably passed away. And with the cops going on scene, they ended up... Um, finding many violations of this assisted living facility that they were, the state got called in and they got shut down. And the other patients that were there were like in need of medical help also. So they all ended up getting the help that they needed. Wow. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Claudia. Just real quick, because Missy reminded me of a call. I delivered a baby on 4th of July a few years ago. That was something else. I'll talk about fireworks. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Not to not to go negative or anything, but we got three separate questions and they're kind of all similar about administration. So I think what I'll do is I'll just read the three questions and then anybody wants to chime in, they're welcome to chime in. First question was, how important is it to have administrative support from your perspective? I'm only speaking from a detective and former patrol deputy, but from a dispatch perspective, how important is it? Somebody else said, what can admin do to better support you or show you that they actually do support you? And then somebody else said, I switched agencies two times. The first one was a nightmare. The second one was good up until they put an unfit captain in charge to oversee us. He knew nothing about dispatch. Luckily, he's gone now. I think you should comment to your fellow dispatchers who are working in a nightmare administration environment. Any advice? So 
three separate ones. Go ahead, Missy. So because I've recently become a supervisor, um, I guess I can speak on both terms of management point of view and being an operator. As an operator, I was very frustrated. Um, we went through some recent changes where we did have a manager and then they eliminated that position. And it was under the police um, side where a lieutenant was running our communications section. And all due respect to police officers, they know nothing about communications. You may work the desk, but you have no idea what it is to take EMD calls. You don't know how to fire dispatch. You don't know the ins and outs of the outside or the other perspective of why we do what we do, why we raise you a thousand times to make sure you're okay. Um, to them, sometimes it's an annoyance. So it, it kind of puts blinders on people, especially um, what I've learned being in the back end of, of the communication section, dealing with officers, a lot of like programs that are implemented, police officers, especially old school ones, don't like change. So when they want things a certain way, they're going to keep it that way. And unfortunately, we're in an age where social media, again, is a big thing. Um, we have these, um, I'm not going to say millennials, because I'm a millennial, but these iGens that they, they run life a very different way, just like the baby boomers do. And um, it's hard to, to see how much what management deals with. So now that we have a manager again, she kind of speaks for us in the aspect of dispatch and, and is our cheerleader when it comes to those meetings with the police chief and things like that. And she's doing an absolute great job to be conforming to what our needs are. And now speaking on a supervisor perspective, it was it's still hard for me to let go of the operator because we're part of staffing. So if we have overflow, I have to pick up the 911 calls, even though I'm indebted with overtime coverage or evaluations or weeklies or things like that. I'm sorry if my dog is barking in the background. She's being a pain. Um, so it's, it's not as easy as what people think to be in between the, the decision making and the people who are on the floor. You try to make do as what you can and now COVID has, I guess, um, brought that even more into light because of the fact that now we're with this new change that you can't even deal with. Like we're all going through this new uh, directives and new protocols and what are we doing and things like that. So it's not easy. I will say that. Well, I'm sorry we don't have a big fancy studio to invite you to. And we definitely appreciate your canine in the background. It's all good though. No worries. No worries. Uh, Carolyn, go ahead if you want to speak on the administration point of view, because I know you, you can talk about both sides and working from the bottom all the way up, so to speak. Absolutely, so um, I've been the dispatcher, I've been the shift supervisor, and now the, I'm the comm manager, and I think that, um, you know, going from a dispatcher to just the supervisor, the role of the shift supervisor, it's very eye-opening. Um, there's so much that goes, you know, on behind the scenes that you are not even aware of. So that was eye-opening, but what I always try to do is explain to my, my people, I would call them my shift, that, you know, listen, there are things I can't talk about, but I hear you, and I would take their complaints up the chain. I think at the end of the day, we're in the business of communication. We need to learn to communicate with our people. Um, and they just, I feel as though people just want to be heard. And as long as you're willing to give them that ear and let them know that you're going to be their cheerleader um, and, and run things up the chain, that's, that's what you can do. Now, being in the communications manager side of it, I can tell you as a shift supervisor, um, when I was the shift supervisor, you know, I would get into some heated discussions with administration, and it wasn't so much that I was trying to get in heated discussions, but the administration would just shut you down immediately. They didn't want to hear anything. It was almost as if they, they wanted it to be okay like everything was great on the surface we don't we don't have any problems here and they didn't want to hear and it wasn't that i was trying to be a troublemaker or or cause problems but they didn't want to hear what the issues were um so now you have somebody who's trying to make a difference but i'm going to shut up now because i'm suddenly labeled as, as a troublemaker i'm now in a position at a, in an agency who was very upfront with me in my interview who said yeah, we have problems. Uh, we, uh, we don't have a manager here. The manager wasn't there for about a year. Um, we, we have problems, but we need somebody who's going to come in and fix it. And 
I could not have asked for a better captain that's in charge of me, and then he's right under the chief. So I've I've done some great things. I, I'm I'm going to be my own cheerleader for a second, which I normally don't do, but honestly, the the department that I work for now has been amazing. They they recognize that they have problems. They wanted to fix it. They didn't know how to fix it. Um, and But now, whatever I've asked for, they've given to me. And at the end of the day, it's all about going in and saying, hey, you know, this is a problem or I think this is a problem. And if my admin said, okay, we can't do that right now or we can't work on it, that's fine. I'll go out and as a manager, it's my job to let my team know that, hey, your concerns have been heard. We're working on them. We're going to see what we can do, whatever it is. But I think it's important that your people keep that, you know, feel comfortable enough that they can come to you with situations because that's how you keep the, the line of communication open and you don't have problems festering on the first line without even knowing what's going on, really. All right. Thank you for that. Um, dwindling down, just a couple of questions left. Uh, two things somebody said. This is nice. Somebody said, I just want to say thank you for all you do for all of us. And then somebody else said, no question from me. I just want to make sure you remember to thank each one of the guests today for the great job that they do. The bottom line is I know when I call, somebody's going to answer. So you guys are appreciated out there. And Carolyn, to your, your earlier point, I think maybe we have more similarities than officers generally might realize about being heard the vocal ones getting maybe unwanted attention, if you will, or just trying to fix things or bring things up. I think maybe from an officer and dispatch perspective, I think there might be more similarities than many of us realize. Somebody said, are there any common trends or pet peeves that you care to address or share? This could be for officers, administration, or even callers. I'm thinking it could help others to talk about this. Pet peeves. I know you guys hate when we get on the radio for a long time. You don't, you guys don't like the dissertations on the radio, the narratives, right? Yeah, yeah. Can we stop that? I mean, that's why we have computers, right? To write your your thesis of what the call was. I would say that would be a pet peeve from what I remember in being a dispatch. Um, the constant reminder of the bolo information of be on the lookout when you have to repeat it 20 times. I mean, and then you still stop somebody that is the opposite of what they're wearing, what you said was wearing. <laughs> I personally prefer common spelling. I think that's a good one when we're giving you the uh, name or something and I say common spelling. Right. The common spelling doesn't work when you give something like George, especially here in South Florida. Um, there's two different Georges, so your common spelling might be different than Miami-Dade common spelling. Okay, here's, uh, here's one. From your perspective, what is the most important part of your job? Carolyn, let's start with you. From your perspective, what's the most important part of your job? In dispatch, I think it's getting the callers the help that they need, keeping our officers safe. Those are the two most important things in my job. And how about from an administrative perspective, a management perspective? You know, I think just off the top of my head, I think it's making sure that my employees know that, um, you know, they're supported, that they're empowered to make decisions. I think it's important to make sure that they have the, the resources that they need, need to do a job um, to the level that I'm expecting them to do it at, and that they're fully trained. Can't tell you how many times I walked in on, on midnight shift and suddenly there's a new piece of equipment sitting in front of me and it's like I never knew it was coming, was never trained on it. So training's a huge thing, not only for the equipment, but I'm a full believer in training, making sure my people are up to date on training all the time. I, th I think at the end of the day, you have those big calls. That's what they're going to fall back on. This is a hard one. I don't even know. I'm just going to ask the question, but I don't know if anybody here can even answer it. Um, how do you possibly keep it together if you ever have to give one of the last calls at a funeral? Anybody? That's a tough one. Those choke me. I, I've never had to do that per se, um, but I do get very emotional with even retirement. And every year at our agency, um, I think it's in Broward too, I mean national, that they celebrate the police memorial day, right? Am I wrong or 
I, I know in Dade County we do. Um, I try to go to that event all the time in Tropical Park where Miami-Dade is the one that runs it. It's very emotional. And earlier in the day, we do our own officers. Um, and I've had to just read the names of officers that have died in the line of duty in our city. And it's very nerve-wracking. And I've done it, I don't even know how many years in a row. I'm usually the one that ends up doing it. Um, and just, I never knew these people. I, I wasn't even there. These were people that died probably in the 80s. I think the last one was in the 90s. Um, and it's just sad because what I always remember is, I don't know, a lot of people know um, Officer Samohano that passed away in Miami-Dade County um, from an AK-47. Somebody shot him responding to, I think it was a warrant call or so something along those lines. And that was back in 2006 when I started and I went to that funeral, and that funeral was held in FIU's arena, and it was so emotional. So whenever I hear bagpipes or the 21 gun salute or, or all these officers passing away, and I go to the, every funeral that I can, that's in the back of my mind when I read those names. So you just got to take a breath. And as nervous as you think you sound, I've asked officers, and they're like, you sounded perfect. Don't worry about it. But just even hitting that three-tone, it, I, it kills me every time, every time. Yeah, I mean, uh, we just recently heard uh, Deputy Bennett from uh, BSO from the Broward County Sheriff's Office, and then you also have the one from uh, Indianapolis Metro um, Officer uh, Brian uh, Leaf, and those were two that kind of struck with me. I remember uh, the one from Indianapolis, it, it almost sounded like the dispatcher was starting to lose it towards the tail end and chokes all of us up. Uh, getting to the tail end here, somebody said, maybe Carolyn, I'll, I'll pose this one to you. Can anyone describe compassion fatigue or transfer trauma as a dispatcher? Well, when you talk about um, transfer trauma, you know, from a psychology point of view, it's literally a transference of, of the, the idea of trauma. Um, when it comes to a dispatcher, it it takes its toll. I, I think it takes its toll more than we realize. And, and going back to what I said earlier, um, you know, getting hit with that call out of the blue, I think it was probably um, what the major theme that we talked about today is taking care of ourselves and mentally and physically um, making sure that we're taking care of ourselves, taking the time that we need to process these calls. Um, we are, I'm sure all centers, big and small, uh, we're just busy. And But I think that we need to take those times to take a step away, um, make sure we're taking care of ourselves because we will, the, the compassion fatigue will hit us uh, if we're not, and we're gonna end up becoming very cold. Um, I, I've been there, I've been there, um, and I've had to take myself out of it. I don't want to be cold to people. I don't want to be cold to, you know, family. I remember one time my daughter was little and she was like, had this latest little cut on her finger and she didn't come to me. She went to my mother-in-law and I'm like, what is she doing? But at the end of the day, it's because my mother-in-law was, you know, made this big deal and, you know, whatever. And, and it was because I had, I was like, oh, put a bandaid on it. It'd be fine. But it, you know, I think we have to take care of ourselves as dispatchers and make sure that um, we don't have that transfer trauma. We don't take those things home with us. Same thing with the compassion fatigue. It's, it's a matter of taking care of ourselves. Um, and you know what, if your agency doesn't have a, a system team or support team, find somebody that you, that you really trust. You know, sometimes that can be hard, but find somebody that you feel that you can really trust and just be able to open up to them and tell them what's going on. I think that's the best way to, to try and avoid it or try and deal with it and just, you know, be aware when it's happening. Try and be self-aware and constantly, you know, I, I've learned to take a step back and kind of self-analyze things, self-analyze myself, things that I've done, things that I've said. And, and you know, that's, that's hard to do sometimes, but I think it's important. I think it's what keeps us healthy as dispatchers. 
Yeah, you guys, just like us, uh, the worst thing you can do is keep it all inside. You have to have a healthy outlet. You got to get it out. You got to vent. You got to de-stress and healthy ways of doing that. Um, so, you know, the common signs, it's just like us. When we come home and somebody notices that you're behaving different, acting different, or you yourself realize that something's bothering you, it's, it's kind of on each of us to know when we need to reach out and get some help. Uh, one of the nice things that we've heard from a couple of different officers in Broward County, for example, is that there are certain agencies that have their own peer support teams, and those members are not restricted, per se, to their own agency. And what I mean by that is we've had officers reach out to different agencies and get help from different officers. So just food for thought, I'm just putting it out there from a dispatch perspective. If you're a dispatcher or call taker and you realize that you want to get some help and you're listening to this now, if you know somebody at a different agency and maybe you've heard that that agency has some great resources, I don't think, I can't speak for everybody, but I really don't think that that agency would turn somebody away from just reaching out or getting some help. So I just wanted to put that out there. One of the quick questions, maybe a yes or a no is better than your thoughts, but somebody said, I'm contemplating helping out as a dispatcher after I finish my 20th year as a patrol officer. Your thoughts? Should we go yes or no? What do you guys think? I don't think it's a bad idea if they want to work in dispatch. We have a few that work in there. I think they have a better appreciation for what we go through. And I mean, I kind of like the cross training because then we can pick their brains and ask why X, Y, and Z happens while you're out in the field. Why do you ask this and that? And then they kind of understand like, oh, this is why you constantly check on me. Or this is why um, you get so frustrated if you tell me to go to the west on that side for calls and you see me going to the east side instead you know i think it's a it's good i i don't have a problem with it at all you just reminded me i just thought of a pet peeve i know this wasn't for me but i'm gonna take the <laughs> opportunity i've got all you guys on here i my former agency my first agency we had this great thing on the computer where we had assigned meal times assigned lunch times for example so if we were going to eat at two o'clock in the afternoon at about 1.45, we would manually put ourselves on the computer and route to go eat. It was phenomenal. Now, I'm at a place where we don't do that. We don't have assigned times. Nobody knows. You guys aren't mind readers, so you don't know I'm going to eat. Our new uh, our CAD system makes it a little less convenient to uh, message the dispatcher like our old system used to be. For those administrators out there, this is a very, very important topic from us officers. We got to have either assigned times or create a button over there so I could say I'm on my way to go eat. Really, really helps us out. Um, all right. Final two questions. Have you had to give up on any hobbies or make any sacrifices outside of work due to the shift work or the job? Carolyn's shaking her head yes. Absolutely. I mean, I've missed so much, um, so many events and family events and uh, I can't even tell, and hobbies, honestly, there was a time when people would ask me what my hobbies were. I, I had to lie because I didn't have any, and I was just embarrassed to say that I didn't have any, but literally I had nothing. Um, you know, I, yes, I, you, you sacrifice a lot. Claudia, I could turn to you myself because for this very uh, podcast, we were initially going to do this at 11 a.m. and I think you were working. What time did you get to sleep this morning? Because I think that was part of the consideration. <laughs> well, I haven't slept yet. <laughs> and you worked what, last night? Yes, I worked last night, 12 hours. I got off at 7 this morning. I haven't slept yet. Man, you're a trooper. But um, I agree with the whole family thing. I've also had to give up a whole semester of school for the job. All right, last question, and we're going to go, I guess we'll do alphabetical order because I want to hit everybody on this. So first one is going to be Carolyn. Knowing what you do now, would you do it all over again or choose another profession? I would absolutely stay where I am. I, I honestly, it's not for the money. It's for the, it's for the feeling you get that you know you're helping somebody and you feel as though you really are making a difference. I would 100% do it again. Okay, Claudia? Same. I would do it again and even start at an earlier age. Okay, Kristen? 
Yeah, I might do a little, a few things differently, um, but I would definitely do it again. I love, I love the job itself. I love what we stand for, what we do, why we're here to help. Um, I love knowing that we made a difference. And Missy? Um, that's a hard question to answer. I am where I am today because of circumstances that just happened. I wanted to be a police officer. My boss was, at the time at the youth center, was formerly a dispatcher. I fell into it. Didn't become a cop, served in the military, and now I am where I am today. Um, I believe in the future the chapter will close, um, not because I don't enjoy the job, but because I'm needed elsewhere, at least for my nonprofit. I think, um, yeah, I think I'm needed elsewhere. I love my job. I love supervising. I love um, dispatch. It, it's kind of a, it's a sensitive, hard question to answer, to be honest. I know we, we did a PTSD panel last year and that question was posed for us and there were, it was officers, firefighters, and uh, the feedback was mixed. I can tell you me personally, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, if you asked me the same question years ago, it would have been a hundred percent definitively. Yes. No, nothing about it, but the job changes you. It really, really does. And there's some real great things. There's some highlights. There's some amazing, powerful things. When you make a difference, it's priceless. It's huge. Unfortunately, the stress, the trauma, the stuff that you keep with you, going way back to what Claudia posted, you know, her, her statement earlier about, you know, you leave work, but the work doesn't leave you. It's, it's just spot on. All right. In, uh, in closing, I'll, I'll give you, uh, especially uh, Missy and Kristen, I want to give you guys a quick opportunity just to do any self-promotion plugs, just share what you guys have going on outside of this. I, I think it's very, very relevant and I love what you guys are doing and we don't believe in the whole competition and all that nonsense. We believe in supporting each other. So, uh, Missy, go ahead and then Kristen jump in right after. Right. So, um, we briefly spoke when I started this journey through my nonprofit called golden pulse foundation. Um, it took a while to think of just the logo itself, but I, I kind of, worked with a firefighter and police officer because they, I wanted to include them. Um, this, I guess this dream of mine that I had was first when I started in the military and I just wanted it for, for veterans because the VA hospital wasn't doing a really good job of taking care of veterans with PTSD. Um, a lot of them were using substance abuse to cope with their trauma and I was very against it, especially not controlled. Um, I'm very for controlled uh, substance, I guess, to, to use for therapy. Um, and then fast forward, it just ended up being that I had to take a step back and put myself in observer role and realize, you know what, dispatchers have the same trauma. Um, it might be a little different from everybody else. And I just wanted to tie everybody in together because we are the front line of all these people. Um, military has their own dispatch. How do they get information from their dispatchers or radio operators, what they say? Um, same thing for police and same thing with fire. And I think we're really the forgotten ones. And I'm not making my nonprofit just for dispatchers because I am a military member. So I want the every, I guess, every department or every um, different entity to tie in together and be one family. Um, I'm not forgetting the nurses and the doctors, but my passion is the public service in this, um, I guess, in this area, not so much the healthcare. So what we do, um, I do have a mental health counselor that's on board. Um, what I'm trying to get to, because it's very difficult here in South Florida, especially when you're the only one running something, um, you run into people who are not maybe as genuine as you are when it comes to nonprofits. Um, I actually recently had an issue with somebody who I went to high school with and crazy enough, I guess because of their own trauma, they decided to block me from even reaching out when all I wanted to do was use them as a resource, but you just got to roll with the punches, do what you got to do. And my journey is to provide those services for, especially for dispatchers. Cause I don't think we're involved in a lot of things like debriefings um, and getting that, that environment back to taking care of our own. Um, just recently, just to off topic, again, I worked with never walk alone, which is another uh, nonprofit with Miami fire department 
and they started their cause because they lost a member to PTSD, and this was five plus years ago. And a Miami Beach firefighter started walking the half marathon in full bunker gear to represent his friend because they used to love doing marathons together. Well, it turned into one person five years later, this past January or February, we had 230 firefighters, dispatchers, a few dispatchers, and a few officers walk in uniform. Um, besides the dispatchers, we went in regular PT gear. But the you can find the pictures on Miami Herald. You can find the pictures everywhere. It was a very moving, I, get, I don't want to say protest, but a very move, a movement that they did to show the public that we are human. We're not robots. Um, we do suffer from trauma. And... We basically have to go home and take care of our family and forget the trauma out the door, and that just causes more trauma. So I'm very proud of where we're going, and I'm always welcome to work with any nonprofit, especially if we're on the same path and same uh, morals, same values. So that's what we're doing. I think uh, speaking from personal experience, especially in South Florida, uh, first off, you're doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Second off, Again, from personal experience, what you're going to find, if you haven't already, is you're going to find genuine, supportive people, and you're going to find the opposite. You're going to find selfish. You're going to find less than genuine. You're going to find people with questionable motives, things like that. We've got several different organizations that we just simply, we support. They support us. We support them. Hand in hand, that's what it's about. It's about supporting each other. Um, go ahead, Kristen. She kind of segued right into what you got going on. Yeah, so um, I I guess I'm more on social media side of things. And I just, um, like you said, we have to have an outlet and unload our emotional backpack. And so it initially started out with fitness and it developed into mental health and wellness. And um, I just realized, I've known throughout the years, but it just really hit home like how underrepresented dispatchers are and there really aren't any that speak out um, publicly about what we go through. And um, so I started talking about that on social media and um, I've gotten a good, um, a lot of good feedback, which is amazing. I've gotten some, you know, like you said, you get all kinds. So of course I gotten some crap on, on the back end of it too. Um, I really try to be an advocate and talk about our job in the most honest way and also the most PC way. Um, and out of that came also um, a podcast that I do with one of my um, best friends and it's called the 911 strong podcast. And um, he's a sergeant. So he gives his sergeant um, perspective of things. I give my uh, dispatcher and police wife side of things as well as like what we do outside of work because we, we keep it separated. Like we just don't always bring home work with us. We try to leave it at the doorstep and what we do to, like, I guess what you said, like, uh, unload your emotional backpack, like, be able to take care of yourself and all of the things that you shouldn't give up just because of what we're going through and um, how we deal with our kids when we come home or how we deal with our spouses and family members when we come home and um, how do we work through that whole process. So that's what we kind of do. We kind of want to like humanize the badge and bridge the gap between law enforcement and the public, especially in these times where, you know, social media is just, uh, and the news outlets are just so basically against us for the most part. I mean, that's majority of what you see anyhow. Um, so that's what I'm doing there. Um, and then just, just writing with it. And, and because of all of that, more opportunities have opened up and I was able to take a, uh, master resiliency course uh, through the FBI with uh, another coworker of mine. And we're starting to do, um, I guess you would say Zoom meetups since we can't actually go and meet with other people. And we're walking through the process of um, just mindfulness and um, everything that that works towards building your own resiliency since it's not something you're born with. It's something you really have to work at and grow from. So that's what I'm, I've been up to. I think that's awesome. And Kristen, as far as uh, reaching your podcast, what platforms are you guys on? Uh, we are on Apple. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play. And uh, we're also on YouTube as well through uh, the 911 Strong Podcast. 
And uh, I'm sorry, uh, they can also go to just 911strong.com and everything's on there as well. Awesome. And then Missy, how do they find out about the Golden Pulse Foundation? Right now I'm just on Instagram and Facebook. Okay. And then Carolyn, any last words before I close this off? No, I just want to thank you for bringing us on and, and giving us a voice. My pleasure. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate what you do and I'm happy to do, you know, a, a little part. Uh, our organization, we're really small, but all of us appreciate you guys. Claudia, any last words? Just thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. And Missy, any last words? Same thing. Thank you very much for all of you guys and everything you do, management and dispatcher. And of course you, Rich, as well. <laughs> like I had to throw that in, of course me. Uh, Kristen, anything, uh, last words. Also just thank you for finding me and including me on this. I'm sorry I wasn't as talkative as I would have liked to have been, but you guys are all amazing and, and thanks for putting the word out there. I'm so glad to have connected with you all. No, absolutely. Our pleasure. And I will, uh, I'll send each of you a message and connect to all you guys at the end. So carrying on with our tradition of honoring our fallen and never forgetting, we conclude each podcast intentionally by remembering a fallen law enforcement officer who was killed in the line of duty an earlier year on the same day of each podcast. Today, we remember all too well, April 19th, 2018. And I feel like this was just yesterday. It's just crazy. Gilchrist County Sheriff's Office Sergeant Noel Ramirez Beltran and Deputy Taylor Lindsay were both shot and killed during a cowardly ambush-style attack. They were just simply trying to take a lunch break at a local Chinese restaurant. The person, and I use that term loosely, opened fire on both of them from outside of the restaurant through a window. He then fled back to his car in the same parking lot and committed suicide. This, uh, this person selfishly changed countless lives. and. Our continued thoughts and prayers are with those who were affected. Sergeant Ramirez Beltran served with the Gilchrist County Sheriff's Office for seven years, is survived by his wife and two children, and was just 29 years young. And we had the privilege and the opportunity to uh, take that family on a shopping spree. And God, what, a, what an absolute honor that was. An amazing family. And that agency, the support that they show, they come together, they're united. It's incredible. And Deputy Lindsay served with the Gilchrist County Sheriff's Office for just two years, was just 25 years young. Both will never be forgotten. And I will personally never forget that strong show of support in Tallahassee at the State Memorial. And it was just, just impressive to see. So God bless our fallen. Thank each one of you guys and have a good day.